0: Hello. You are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Chad Bowne, a senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics in Washington. This week, Samaya Keynes and I have a four-part conversation about trade deals with Professor Danny Roderick. Danny Roderick is the Ford Foundation Professor of International Political Economy at Harvard University. This is part four. It's a bonus episode, if you will. This is the really geeky, techie bit that asks Danny what he thinks about the terms of trade argument for trade agreements. There is a substantial economics literature, research literature that that tries to formalize a number of the ideas that you put out there that in some respects, economists think about trade agreements as deals between governments when they're trying to tie their own hands so they're not responsive to some of these special interests um, that would otherwise get them to do bad things. so that's, that's definitely one view of the literature. Another view of the literature is that they're out there to, uh, get countries to reciprocally open up their markets to each other to deal with international externalities. That in the absence of trade agreements, I would impose tariffs that are too high. They impose costs on you. You would do the same thing, impose costs on me. And we, we bargain to try to get rid of those international externalities. Do you think in that second case, the international externality case, do you think that's a legitimate role for trade agreements? Um, has it ever been a legitimate role? Is it less of a role today? What's your, what's your sense on that?
1: So, so the international externalities, our argument for trade treaties is essentially based on uh, the terms of trade channel. And the idea is that you know, if you're a country uh, which is relatively large in international trade, uh, by restricting trade, uh, you can manipulate your terms of trade to your own advantage. But of course, other countries can do that too. Uh, so if we are all acting in a kind of a decentralized, uh, opportunistic way that, you know, we might both end up having tariffs that are too high, and wouldn't it be better if instead we stepped back and, and entered into an agreement uh, where we, we, we did not put on tariffs? So that terms of trade agreement is really the original and probably, you know, analytically speaking, is, is the most sound and robust argument uh, for uh, the presence of international trade agreements. It goes back all the way to a, a, an article by Harry Johnson, I think it was back in 1950, which is the original agree, uh, rationale for uh, trade agreements. I, I don't find that a, a very appealing as an actual description of what trade negotiators do. Uh, That I just don't think that when trade negotiators are negotiating that they worry about the terms of trade impact of their policies. Uh, That is that trade restrictions are often preferred for reasons having to do with maintaining employment or, or maintaining income effects for import competing groups. Uh, And not so much because they're going to make imports cheaper. Uh, So, in other words, cheaper imports from the perspective of the usual trade negotiator, you know, is probably a bad thing. It's not a good thing because it would drive domestic import competition out. I, I think this in support of that idea, you know, if terms of trade externalities were the main channel, main reason or rationale for trade agreements, then we would be really hard Put to explain why is it that trade agreements actually prohibit export subsidies, Uh, because export subsidies is is essentially a terms of trade gift to another country. If you subsidize your export, Europeans subsidizing their agricultural uh, producers, it's a wonderful thing for other countries, because they're essentially other countries' terms of trade improve. You know, you might question why would Europe actually want to do that? But leaving that question aside, there is no reason why international rules should prohibit a country from essentially giving a gift uh, to its trade partners. Uh, So on the whole, I don't find the terms of trade agreement to be a a, a good uh, rationale for trade agreements as they've come to be.
0: Do you think that, that that argument has changed at all over time? So do you see perhaps the original motivation for the 1947 GATT is really being a story about coming out of the 1930s and this beggar-thy-neighbor world and perhaps these international externalities. And that was the purpose of the original GATT, and now we just live in a different world? Or do you think it was even the case back then that the original trade deals were for different purposes?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think even then, if you go back to the original trade rounds, Uh, And as you say, you know, it was a way of getting us out of the kind of uh, protectionism that the world inherited from the Second World War and then the interwar uh, protectionism. Uh, I think it was much more um, driven by concerns about, you know, mutual gains in employment uh, rather than uh, the terms of trade. I think it was, was, you know, Paul Krugman had an article um, a long way back where we talk about, you know, sort of the way to understand GATT was through a kind of a mercantilism, which is that it's, it's really, you know, exports are good, imports are, are, are bad. And uh, if you can in- increase exports and imports simultaneously, that's good. I think that was the, the three things that you need to understand uh, about sort of what drove uh, these post-war trade agreements. And I think that's largely right. And I think that explains pretty much what was going on. But you know this notion that exports are good, imports are bad. You know, if you can expand both of them, it's a good thing. You know, doesn't fit very well with this you know terms of trade um, argument, which after all derives from full employment uh, general equilibrium models, where you don't have you don't worry about the employment consequences, and you're not stuck in an underemployment equilibrium. And, it's maybe it's common in, in economics that we try sort of, you know, come up with rationales um, that, that, you know, comfort us that the world is doing something that we actually think that they ought to be doing. But in this one case, I think that it's um, there's a big difference between what was happening and the way that that economists
0: rationalize the process. That is the end of part four of our four part conversation with Danny Roderick. Thanks again to Danny Roderick. And thanks to the Julius Rabinowitz Center for Public Policy and Finance at Princeton University's Woodrow Wilson School. Thanks to them for hosting the conference that brought the three of us together. And thanks as always to our listeners. Please do keep in touch. On Twitter, I'm at Chad Bowne. And we're on at
1: trade underscore underscore talks.
0: That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because a four-part episode with Danny Roderick really was enough. Enough for one week anyway.